Welcome to the Attributive Security Podcast, where we discuss information security with more focus on the business and less on technology details. In this episode, we're discussing a topical issue, supply chain risk. Risks emanating from a business's supply chain are nothing new, but are an increasing focus for many businesses. Maybe this is as a result of improved security measures, reducing the more direct risks you face. Maybe it is a reflection of the increasing digital reliance of businesses in your supply chain. Keep listening for our views of what supply chain risk is, what you can do about it, and the value of collaboration. Maurice, could you start us off by introducing our guest? For those of you who have been in the SAPS Foundation course I present, you may recognize his name. A large part of my journey is due to him, for which I'm grateful. I'm grateful for his advice back then. He said, Maurice, you should go meet SAPSA. Trust me, it's different, and that is just how your brains work. So, dear listeners, I present to you Vincent Thiele, a smart, clever, witty Dutch chap who understood politics better than I did back then. And from a distance, it was great to see how Vincent made its way from second line of defense risk officer of the internet channel at ING to become the C-cert manager and still stay skilled and knowledgeable about the details. His strong network was built because of his social skills. For me, a truly inspirational person who helped me on my way too. And I'm honored to have you here in the podcast, Vincent. Thank you for your support. I never said this, but thank you for your advice back then. And thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you, Maurice and Martin, for having me on this podcast. I'm really um, honored to at least uh, discuss a lot of nice things with you, uh, in this case about uh, supply chain uh, management and risk. Uh, of course, in the past, we had a lot of discussions about all, all kinds of risk and security related as well. And I'm really grateful that I helped you on your journey to, uh, to become a SAPSA trainer. So uh, thank you. Uh, likewise. You're very welcome, Vincent. I heard recently about cheese shortages over there in the Netherlands. And it wasn't uh, COVID related. It wasn't Brexit related, but apparently it was a, a cyber attack but not on the stores themselves, on their logistics company. So they weren't getting their deliveries at the level they were expecting. Yeah, the, of, co- of course, the Dutchies, we like our cheese. You see more and more the impact of several attacks. Uh, it could be ransomware, it could be other attacks that have direct physical impact on their, on their daily lives. Another example, of course, today was in the news that uh, the not- Dutch notaries uh, weren't able to transfer houses uh, to new owners because of an issue and a glitch and an attack on a IT service provider for over 100 uh, notaries as well. I am going to develop a product. Okay. And I am depending on my suppliers to deliver stuff. But to what extent should I be knowledgeable and to what extent should I assess all of the the things that could go wrong in this whole supply chain. I mean, you very quickly end up to a level of delivery of oil. Yeah. Right, because we need plastic. So a bank card is made up of plastic, so we can't get new customers, give their, we can't give their the new cards because the oil industry will screw it up. Something, right? It very quickly grows into a big supply chain, uh, very complex, very quickly. Where do I start and where do I stop with actually assessing, analyzing my risks? I think where we are at the moment, a lot of people are still struggling to assess 
the risks that are within their own control. Within and, their and, own and so, thank you, thank you for saying control. And indeed, where do I stop, and to what extent do I go with providing controls? Indeed, right in in the supply chain risks. Yeah, if you currently look at where regulators are going, especially of course, my background is financial industry. And if you look at the different um, regulations, especially in the operational resilience, and you also see, of course, a shift uh, from regulators to call everything cyber, but slowly are going to operational resilience. And what you see in, uh, especially with the Bank of England, but also within the EU, and they're really focusing on at least the fourth and fifth party risk. So that means that you actually need to understand the suppliers of your suppliers. And I think that's the depth that regulators are now looking for. But you need to be able to understand what will be the impact of those, at least understand the impact of those third, fourth and fifth parties. If you don't understand that, of course, you don't know how to respond and how to protect yourself for possible things that are happening with, with those parties. But yeah, the, the, the question will remain, how far are you... Do you need to go and are you willing to go? Of course, it takes a lot of money and effort to be able to do so. But yeah, it, uh, I think we're still struggling to what extent we need to do that, also from a regulatory perspective, but also, of course, from a business continuity perspective. You make a good point there. It's not just your third parties, it's their third parties, which we might call your fourth parties, and, and the whole chain. And that explodes very rapidly into a huge, a huge number of entities but i think you've also got to look at going up the chain the other way in terms of your consumers you affect them everyone's looking at how i'm affected by somebody else and you really need to start having those conversations of this is how you affect me so you've got to be looking both both directions in the chain as well so okay so that's a dependency model that goes uh, in both directions you say? yeah i think so because it's it's actually more of supply chain dependency and maybe supply chain resilience. It is, but you've got a very different lens as you go down that chain. You looking at one of your suppliers, that supplier may be absolutely critical to you. But you may be using a service that's 10% of their revenue and you may be one of quite a few clients. They're critical to you. You're not critical to them. So in terms of their security, and we've talked a lot in the past about the context, they may have mature processes, good governance, they may be making risk decisions in a manner that you would agree with, but they're going to make those decisions based on, on their context, which may actually conflict with yours. They're not making decisions in your interest, they're making decisions in their interest. So how do you go beyond the, they've got ISO 27,000, or they've done our questionnaire and that we think they've got a mature process and they're ticking lots of those boxes but their mature process that's managing their risk is not managing your risk yeah but do i need to know whether they're twenty-seven thousand certified do i need to know whether they tick all the the boxes there no all i'm saying is i think a lot of the activities we're seeing at the moment are very much around governance around process i do see people doing testing of, of systems and I think there's some issues there as well in the I'm getting this service from you I, I want to pen test it no you can't pen test it here's our pen test report 
goes back to what I said before. That's in that's risks in their context. So you've got to be very careful how you interpret those. Or you actually then go in and do some stuff. And it's not actually the product that's the issue. It's their corporate systems, their build system, that's where the vulnerability is being planted. And you're not actually assessing that at all. You're assessing the product. So how do you actually get a good measure of what the risk is to you from that supplier? For me, it's not important that... Of course, uh, and again, uh, coming back to the financial industry, the paper and liability is very important for uh, an organization. Also in that industry, you see that uh, it, it's about proving how secure you are and monitoring also your suppliers on how secure they are and even the, if they have their basics in order. So uh, if you are not aware, so it, I see a shift from accepting paper and accepting forms into now I want to actually monitor what you're doing. Uh, so I think you have a tendency of don't trusting uh, what the people put on paper, but actually be able to. And then I don't believe in, in pen tests uh, because it only gives a small, a very small uh, part of what the whole company is about. But it's more about uh, monitoring the, the overarching impact or the hygiene of a company. So, of course, you have different companies that do risk matrices. You have companies who uh, do complete uh, attack service management, uh, also from uh, external vendors. Uh, but the only way to actually figure out how big the risk is, is to measure it. And the only way to measure it is to see what's out there. What's out there in terms of general threats to their industry or no, maybe no. threat intelligence related to that? supplier what do you mean no i think there, there are two things so uh, from my, uh, if you look at also uh, and now also on the vendor side i used to be uh, comfortable in the seat of a uh, of a bank but uh, becoming more on the vendor side you also look at what companies are doing out there so if you look at the threat intelligence space it's not only getting iocs or getting reports of organizations or countries it's also getting actual data of the security posture of a company, for instance, or a industry. So it's actually be able to, to figure out uh, how many vulnerabilities are out there in a certain, uh, with a certain company. How well do they perform patch management on their outside, on their tech service? So what you see is that you're going to measure, you're really going to measure the hard facts of the, how a company looks like from the outside. Uh, and especially if you look very deeply, you can see if they have their basic security things in order. If they don't have their basic things, uh, basic security things in order, they probably will not have their very advanced controls in order as well. So it's measuring actually how well does the security department or a IT department of a certain vendor actually is able to perform. And you're, it's very easy to monitor that. And of course, you have service for that. You can do it yourself. But it's very important to understand what is the threat that uh, when you have a certain company in your complete uh, supply chain, it's very important to understand that what is the threat if you introduce another company in your supply chain as well. But uh, that's an interesting one, Vincent. So you have to assess the suppliers in your chain whether they are meeting a certain level of maturity for, for example, risk ownership, a level of maturity for processes around dealing with risks, right? Assessing risks, 
putting in the right controls. And if you have a, a, a mature process, you will probably have the right controls there. But to which standard do you compare this? Is it, yeah, I think that that part of the, the industry is not mature enough. So if you look at uh, uh, risk measuring agencies like... Uh, uh, you don't have to name companies. <laughs> Yeah, but you have, you have several companies in that space, and they're actually be able. They they give risk scores uh, on based on the small set of uh, the assets, and they look how f how do they compare against the rest of the industry. Yeah. So that's a that's a way to do it. I th I think that's quite a immature part of the industry, though, and I think we're yet to see whether or not that's a good indicator of real performance yeah for me there isn't a standard there isn't an open standard to be able to measure it so they all have their proprietary measuring sticks and if you have your proprietary measuring sticks it's very difficult to compare one figure of one company to a figure of another company so uh, if you look at the current maturity of the industry i think we're uh, it's not there yet so but i think in the end if we have a comparable measuring stick we are able to actually compare companies to each other. In a, if it's also an open way of measuring, you can also adjust it and help you improve yourself as well. So the companies in your supply chain can also improve them. And it's a way to, uh, if you share information, it's also a way to improve each other. Uh, because you can't do it yourself, I still think that's the case. But for me, it's very important that you have a common measuring stick, which with the current in a state of industry, it, it's not there yet. So I think it's currently too uh, immature to be able to compare results, but I think it's a first step uh, to be able to do so. Also on that note, we're hearing about geopolitical pressures on blocking suppliers from various territories. Partly that down to potentially they could be lent on by their governments to put vulnerabilities into their systems. They may be ticking those boxes on those sorts of uh, external risk registers, I guess, but maybe there's other factors at play as well that you're just not going to be able to predict. So I, th I think it's, it's maybe an indicator, but I'm wondering what more there is you can do. And I think also point we, we touched on earlier that it, it's important to consider the, the cyber security posture of, of your suppliers, regardless of whether or not they're a supplier in that context to you whether or not they've got enhanced access to your network or they're supplying software or even hardware that runs in your environment that the example we started off with they're delivering stuff to a store but their internal logistics are compromised so they don't know what stock they've got they don't know where it is they don't know where it needs to go they can't load the lorries as efficiently and that's affecting their service so you've got to be mindful that it's not just the the technology supply chain i guess it's it's the entire supply chain now, yeah, so of course it's the physical uh, supply chain of, as well uh but i live in the cyber realm but so if, if you look at for instance of course you you also have hardware components and physical components that that need to be that you that you use you you need to use computers and stuff like that so yeah the the implants in hardware is, uh, is also one of the things that happens but if you look at the complete IT supply chain, of course, you have several things that you need to take into or, uh, take into account. So, of course, if you develop software, uh, you need to take into account everything that you need to be able to develop that software for uh, whatever you need that software for. 
but you're using hardware using uh, maybe ci cd platforms you you use uh, libraries from different resources you lose you lose you're using plugins from uh, whatever you you have uh, whatever source you can can have it so if you create software for instance it's very difficult to be able to ma- even manage that and of course if you have in-house things uh, you you run you have hardware you have software that you need to uh, take into account and of course if you look at managing networks uh, we all have seen um, in Solowin's case um, what impact that could have it's very dependent on the industry of course where you're in which supply chain has, has impact on your daily business as well yeah and you mentioned software there i think another case which probably would come under the banner of supply chain is the attacks people are trying and and in some cases succeeding on on open source software we saw one recently where somebody tried putting some malicious code in into php if that gets into a release branch then you've got the the same sort of level of uh, of things as, as solar winds potentially you've got a, a very wide blast area how do you assess those sorts of things? You can't assess an open source project the same way as you're suggesting we assess um, suppliers in our supply chain. But they are a supplier in our supply chain. How do you assess their security posture? Yeah, if you look at there, for me, uh, it's very important that vulnerability threat intelligence is shared commonly between different parties. So you need to understand what kind of uh, what kind of vulnerabilities are out there and what kind of um, uh, libraries are compromised as well. And I think it's very important that we need to understand and learn from each other when something is compromised and learn it as soon as possible. If we don't share that information, a lot of companies will get impacted by, by issues, by backdoors or vulnerabilities in software if you implement them in your, your own software environment or hardware environment. It's very important that as soon as something is known and it's abused, people directly need to know and need to be able to take action. So openness about issues that there, uh, what kind of vulnerabilities there are, but also what, what other kind of issues there are with software companies or with uh, open source uh, issues, whatever. It's about that you understand what's out there, but also that it, the information is shared within the industry that you can also take measures directly. I think you can never prevent everything from happening, but you can always be able to react on things that are out there. But you can only do that if you have the information to do so. So you you mentioned a couple of things there. You mentioned financial services and you've mentioned information sharing. And I think the financial service industry is, is ahead of the game in terms of sharing threat information and attack information. I just wonder if there's scope for broader information sharing on suppliers. Bank A, Bank B probably have a lot of suppliers in common, right? Yeah. Are they sharing the information about their views on security posture of those suppliers? That extends to third, fourth, fifth party as well. Those suppliers, they may actually share a... Bank A has supplier B, has supplier C, but Bank A maybe is talking to C directly as well. And actually sharing a lot of information throughout that sort of graph. Is that something you're seeing any any, uh, willingness to share that information? Do you think that would be a useful advance? Yeah, I I think sharing that. I'm a bit hesitant to uh, talk a lot about sharing of financial industry. I was 
part of the board of FS Isaac, which is the largest uh, financial industry uh, information sharing platform. So I'm a bit biased. Uh, sorry, I'm very biased. <laughs> but for me, uh, I think the, depending on the region where you are, there is a lot of sharing. But it's very, if you look at the cultural differences between the countries and also within different industries, it's very dependent on the industry and the country where you're in on how much is shared. Uh, I, I've seen countries where everything, even the text, real-time attacks are shared directly to everyone. But I also seen countries and industries where it's only shared after a couple of months when uh, several legal departments had looked at it. Can we share this? So going back to the sharing part, I think it's very important. And I, I think it's very uh, good that different regions are now also pushing for sharing. Like for in the US, of course, uh, there has been a directive of Obama uh, that sharing in case for uh, uh, protecting the critical infrastructures can be done without any uh, issues of legal legal issues afterwards. And of course, in the EU, if you look at DORA, Digital Operational Risk Framework, you also see that sharing is now also pushed by the EU as well. So you slowly also see the governments picking up. Yeah, we really need to share. And uh, so also we need to be able to create a culture where where you, you should be able to share without being afraid of... Uh, the possible impact if you share things uh, that can, of course, from a legal perspective. So for me, it, of course, sharing is very important because I've, I've seen in practice, if you share, even during a tax, or uh, that could be vulnerabilities within your supply chain, that could be a tax towards uh, third parties. If you share that directly, you can really minimize the impact of an issue. If you don't share it, uh, the impact will only grow and grow and grow. And eventually, a you know, whole industry can, can face, a, face a big impact of not sharing data uh, or issues in time. Sorry for this monologue. No, no, that was, that was really informative. Thank you. Because uh, you made me think of the news that hit us the last few days about KPN in 2009 and 2010. Yeah. Huawei and, yeah, yeah. and KPN. And they knew this back then but they they actually said let's not share this these risks this information because we would have a negative reputation hell we may even lose our licenses there so there shouldn't they be some environment in which you are allowed to share without having this negative legal repercussion there yeah you've got to have that safety net haven't you that yeah you're in a safe space that you can share that stuff when you select a product for whatever you need there in your supply, how do you how do you determine that that supplier is the best supplier? And would you rely on one? Or when do you select another, right? Sort of building a resilience. Suppliers disappear all the time. They go bust. We talked about the geopolitical angle where maybe you're prevented from using that supplier yep. you know, fairly suddenly. Suppliers end support of their products or they discontinue their products. So you've got to be resilient to your supply chain disrupting your business. Yeah, I think you should really, especially for your critical uh, parts of your supply chain, you, you should be able to, at least depending on, of course, uh, the, the industry that you're in, you, you really need to uh, have uh, a redundancy in that. Uh, the only thing that I, I see in practice is that because of the concentration risk underlying of several vendors, 
also if you try to get different vendors and a full stack and whatever you want to have and there could also be be, uh, you still have to have a maybe dependency on one very big vendor as well under underneath so for instance if you uh, coming back to it uh, if you have two SaaS providers maybe they both uh, have their hosting at aws uh, or even uh, two two other supply chains have their logistic systems based on uh, on google or, or azure so even if you think that you're completely redundant underneath it there could also be still a a reliance on one party for to deliver certain certain things as well so again it's very difficult to to understand am i completely resilient or is there still somewhere a underlying thing that's still connected yeah because how far would we go with in our whole offering of services we have a supply chain of, of various products so we use a library, we use an open source tool, we use a network, we use TCP IP. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, or, this, or the same TCP IP stack for all OT devices, for instance. But so there, it's very difficult to complete to be completely resilient. So I've. Uh, but how far do you have to go? Sorry. Of course. Oh. Uh, of course, that's the the uh, the way. Yeah. That's why you have to assess, of course, where am I resilient and where are the things combined. But of course, if you use TCP completely separate in other environments, it's yeah. really fine. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, but it's a good way to to figure out what kind, what are the dependencies and what are the, the, the eventually the resilience. And of course, you need to figure out how resilient am I. Uh, and it's a, of course a completely. Uh, quantitative analysis on the small parts that can fail and i think uh, of course from an, uh, from our way of thinking and from ict of we need to think more and more into how can we really calculate what is the resilience of your supply chain or your it systems or, uh, and how can you calculate the risk of something failing uh, that could also be f- due to a just a failure of hardware but it could also be failure uh, because of of an an attack so i think we need to quantify more and more the reliability of our systems and more and more than than what we did in the past it's just another form of risk isn't it you can you can build a certain level of resilience but at some point you're going to reach the point where you don't actually want more resilience because Maybe it's going to cost too much or it's going to have some impact somewhere else that are unpalatable. And I think you certainly got to look at what is realistic, what, what could actually happen. I think anybody that says the, the solar winds was a, was a black swan has got their head in the sand. It was obvious. It, it was could bound happen. to happen. It was bound to happen. It's... The worldwide chip shortage we've got at the moment because of manufacturing problems, because of a pandemic Anyone who said a pandemic couldn't wasn't going to happen again. But it, got, it was on the cards; it was going to happen. But you've got second, third, fourth tier effects of that. So that predicting a, a chip shortage is maybe a lot further down the line than there could be a pandemic. So yeah, resilience. I think you, you've certainly got to consider those, those threats that certainly could happen, and you can't deny could happen. But you mentioned IoT there, and I think that sort of brings me on to another thought of, I guess, the sort of whole shadow IT thing. We haven't talked about 
supply chain management in analogy to sort of asset management. You've got to know who your suppliers are. You've got to know who those relationships are. And if you've got people in the, in the organization going, going away and bringing in suppliers that you don't know about or bringing in products that you don't know about, putting an IoT device on your network and you don't know about that, then I think you've got a problem there as well. And of course, it's not only shadow IT, it's also the millions of cloud services that you probably also have on your network, or at least you have connections to uh, as well. Yep. For me, it's, it's uh, and again, it's, it's very important that you look at the tech service from the inside out and from the outside in, and also look towards it as uh, from a hacker perspective. If you look at the way, uh, of course, there uh, a lot of companies always want to have a scope especially from risk perspective, we also will always want to have a scope. And especially in a supply chain perspective, you can't create a scope based on, on your normal IP range. You have to look into what is the full scope of my attack service. And uh, the full supply chain is part of your attack service as well. Uh, and so if you, if, uh, if you look at an external tech service, you mainly also see a lot of services that are hosted with third parties. You look at, you see things that are uh, hosted, especially for, for departments like HR or, or marketing. You see so many things popping up because departments try to always circumvent the issues that we as security professionals, architects, or uh, everyone within the company or IT service even, uh, they're trying to circumvent all the controls and issues that we foresee. So, and of course, from a technical perspective, you, you, you also see the, uh, you, will never, you will never go into the well-maintained, you try to enter the well-maintained way path, let's not go through the happy path. You always were trying to figure out what is the less secure way to get into your organization. And that could be via third party or fourth party or uh, software that you bring into your company. Uh, but you really need to figure out what is my, f my full-fledged uh, uh, service that I have even if you don't like it. Uh, a lot of companies don't don't want to see the bad places in their network or they, they don't want to see the IT service or don't want to see the cloud service that they, that company bring in. You need to take the full tech service into account. Uh, and for maybe from a risk perspective, that you will get a very, very bad uh, uh, risk issue somewhere. But you really need to, to protect yourself. You need to take into account the full where uh, all entry points into your organization or your issues within your organization. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. Um, you, you have to have a, a clear view, the total view of your threat landscape of what is in scope for you. Now, as you were saying, the whole of the supply chain is a part of your threat landscape, but you are using suppliers because you, you don't have the means to actually dig up oil or to fabricate plastic out of that. So you hire a company, you buy a product from somebody else. Now, in my theoretical model, in my wonders that I occasionally have, I'm thinking of when I'm going to buy a product, I have requirements. Requirements towards the product, the functionality of that product. But at the same time, I have requirements that this product should also prevent the negative things from happening. So 
If I would send out my requirements to this supplier and say, so these are the control objectives, and I'm not trying to sell SAPSA here, right? But this is my risk strategy. This is the threats and the, the, the things that need to be mitigated. When I'm using your product, can you help me? Can you guarantee to me? Can you also sort that this is not going to happen when I'm using your product? Now, this then moves forward into the chain where this supplier is now reaching out to his suppliers saying what he needs to be prevented there that incorporates my requirements but that also incorporates his requirements and he sets it out sends it out to the his supplier saying this needs to be prevented when i'm using your product so now we're building a chain of requirements where I, as the end user, don't need to know about how oil is being protected when it's being brought up there because that has been a proxy, so to say. I'm not sure how that scales, though. Your requirements are going to be different to one of your peers who's also a, a client of this, this supplier. So you're going to have differences in requirements at that point. And if you're buying a, let's say, a commoditized product, there's only so far you can go. So I think you're going to get a, maybe a subset of those that's, that's common uh, and maybe ho hopefully more than just the common stuff, they'll, they'll try and increase that. But I think also you need to be talking to them about, well, what does this product actually require from me? If you say you're putting a bit of software in, what environment do I need to provide? I think a lot of people, and it's not to say it's easy, but if you start looking at sort of behavioral analytics and network behavioral mapping. But isn't it a sort the of... SolarWinds Orion, did, that, that needed to talk to update servers. It didn't need to talk to a, a server to download some malware. So why did it have that access? And do we need to start communicating more of, these are my requirements, you don't need to give it any more access than this. It, I, it kind of goes back to the... The zero trust principles as well. It does. You know, why am I trusting this thing? Because what, what do I absolutely need to provide for it to get it to work? But this would help us in the building the dependency tree there. Uh, trip is okay if roads is okay, right? And car yep. is okay. And car is okay if car one or car two is okay. And car one is okay if it has fuel and it has enough, it has windows, it has everything functioning. But for me to start with saying the trip is okay, do I need to be knowledgeable and skilled about everything that sits in the car to make that car go okay, be okay? Or can I pass that on and say, listen, I need to know who has access and only these kind of people are allowed access, customers, nobody else. So it is about what Vincent was saying. Vincent was saying, I need to know my threat landscape. I need to know the bad things that can happen. I need, to, I need to face my fears and I need to face the challenges there for me to better articulate what my suppliers need to meet. And they can pass it on in the same way. They need to see what is threatening them and they pass it on again, ultimately down to that the whole of the trip is okay, that all the dependencies are meeting what they're supposed to be meeting. Yeah, so you're turning that around from what are all the things that could go wrong to what's the minimum that I need to actually go right. Yeah. And I think that different viewpoint is useful. Yeah, but if you, so coming back to your, your uh, to cars, uh, and I'm going to say something that people don't want to hear, but 
it's also about standardizing uh, security as well. Uh, if you want to really have everyone comply to at least a certain level, you need to standardize everything you need to do within security. Uh, like for within cars, uh, the brakes are standardized, your horn is standardized, the way uh, it hits a, uh, if you hit a wall, it needs to fold a certain way. All those things are standardized in a very mature industry. Well, let me, let me uh, I, I interrupt you here because what we actually need to standardize is not so much security as the industry perceives security, but we should standardize the security of that something else. Right? So we should have TCPIP that is thorough, that is robust. We should have network devices, we should have applications that are secured by design, by default. I think that's what you were saying. Yeah, I totally agree. We need to have everything that, uh, so security should be, it should be standard in everything that we use. Yeah. There should be a minimal security controls in place and how you build stuff and, and the basics should be in order. Uh, and of course, it costs money. And there, of course, you have a discussion. When considering supply chain, we look at a lot of the business enabling applications, services. So we look at, we need a new CRM. Okay, we're going to look at the security around that vendor. We're going to look at the product. We're going to do that assessment and that analysis. But then you look at the maybe some controls you're putting in place. Let's go there, maybe solar winds. You're putting some monitoring in place. And that is maybe maybe not the same team, but maybe closer to the team that would be doing those assessments. And and they sort of sail under the radar because it's not a it's not a business enabling application. It's a control you're putting in place to to mitigate some other threat. And that doesn't get the same level of analysis. But maybe that's just my <laughs> my experience on these things yeah if, if of course uh, if we put something in a management network uh, and if you have a management network at all then we think everything is safe. Or you say you have a management network and then it's not properly segregated anyway <laughs> yeah that, that, that as well but it's in your core of your business of everything that you do from my experience in the past uh, the, of course if you think something is in the management network uh, it probably has too much access to everything uh, but still, we, f we trust it completely without uh, uh, having additional controls on top of it. Uh, I've seen it in practice as well. Yeah, I think the, the saying is, who, who guards the gatekeepers? Yeah, yeah. who, who trusts the SOC, uh, how to monitor the SOC employees as well. So <laughs> that's a, a discussion I had a lot of times in the past. So in the end, you have always someone on top of the food chain, of course, who monitors everything. Who monitors the monitor? That's the, the, the big question. Uh, of course, especially if you put things from third parties in the middle, in the center of your network, that's, that's bound to be an issue, in the, in, uh, of course. Coming back to the earlier discussions you had, of course, is that if you look at SolarWinds, it's something that, that happened. Uh, the first thing, uh, big attacks that we saw, of course, was the Lockheed RSA attack. So... Yeah, it's not something that, that didn't happen already more than 12 years ago. And we have seen attacks before that as well. So what you see there again is we rely uh, on monitoring stuff. We rely on security measures. But who, how are we going to monitor those defenses as well? Well, I don't think I have the solution here <laughs> as an answer to your question. But I, this is something definitely uh, we need to be 
Uh, I think we need to put more attention towards the business to have a bigger view on the supply chain risks, supply chain resilience to identify the whole threat landscape there. Like you were saying, Vincent, there is a regulation upcoming. Of course, the question is, is four levels or five levels, is that enough? And, you know, when is a supplier a part in your chain? If one supplier is delivering, I mean, a company as a supplier has multiple departments in there, sub products, and they have suppliers. So which route of your supplier decomposition are you taking? How far do you go? And and three or four suppliers down is is already like a big tree. Because one supplier has four suppliers. All of these four are now your second suppliers, right? That's the second tier. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is that the graph is bigger than who are your suppliers? It's who are their suppliers that are relevant to you? Yeah. Who are their suppliers yeah. in total? If one of their suppliers has a breach. I think it's called island hopping, where you go in the supply chain and, and go through the supply chain to reach an ultimate target. So yeah, what they, Vincent, they don't have they don't actually have to be in in direct in the relationship. sort of naive graph that you have of your suppliers and their suppliers. Yeah, yeah. So what Vincent was saying is I think that's and that's what we're striving for, of course, is this standardization of security. And not so much that the IT security has a standard on encryption but a standard of doing it by design. By default, you should do security by design, integrated into the product and not both. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. You also see in practice that we're trying to combat that, at least uh, the industries where I was in, is that you try to at least certify big parties within supply chains within your industry. And by certify, what do you mean? Uh, like audit, uh, you audit big big parties within your industry uh, that su- supply your industry and you do that at once so you can do one very big audit on a su- specific suppliers that can be used so that certification can be used for all parties that use that supplier and also towards your regulator as well for instance i audit this big SaaS provider for HR systems, or I audit this very big platform as a service provider that a lot of the, the industry partners use. Uh, then you already, I think that this is a, a way forward. This is not the end game, but I think it's a good way to actually, if you have certain suppliers to be audited very deeply, and a lot of companies are able to use that, that certification uh, or that audit report, you already have a component that you can use in the future to, to uh, improve your supply chain, not only for yourself, but for your full uh, industry as well, uh, especially the key suppliers within your industry. I think that's a good start, uh, but in the end, you want to have security by design. But we also need to try to be able to pick a path to improve the different industries uh, and your, comp- your complete supply chains of different industries as well. And, uh, and should the audit then be on how you have designed, uh, right, to the, to the big supplier there, should that audit be on how they designed their, their solutions or maybe on a control standard and then we have to select which control standard would be the best and if you ask me, none of them are the best? Uh, <laughs> now, coming, coming from a mature industry, you have certain common practices and uh, certain regulators have certain control frameworks as well, uh, as well where you need to comply with. Uh, 
if you want to have a banking license, you have to comply to to certain uh, COVID to certain sets, COVID or uh, even the cybersecurity standards of NIST. Yeah, um, you you can take s- several frameworks that are very common in a certain industry. So then at least you have a certain basis uh, that you can use, uh, especially if you use some newer and more more advanced standards as well. Uh, then you can at least have a certain basis if you have that standard done for a specific part of your supply chain. At least you can can say safely that you at least comply to the, to a certain basic standard. And that helps you maintaining uh, your own environment as well as uh, compliance towards, uh, towards the EBA or the ECB within Europe, of course. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And I'm but then, glad then of course, you've got to be... You've got to have a commitment to, I guess, to maintain that within the, within the audit window as well. Exactly. And as Vincent was saying, it's only a starting point. Absolutely. Uh, we should have a focus on the end game. So whilst we are doing this audit and, and creating some sort of level of, I wouldn't necessarily say assurance, but some level of, I don't know, <laughs> confidence. While we're doing this, we should also set out this this road to the end game of where we have secure by design. But yeah, that's still because we are a immature industry. We are. Yeah. Uh, so we we need to have to figure out certain paths to to uh, improve the safety or security within our industry. And of course, we need to figure out new paths. So that's why I, I really like the information sharing path. I like the certification path uh, within the supply chain. Uh, I like to that we look at not only paper, but we also look at actual issues that people have. So you need to build up your control set, of course, to have a certain confidence level that your complete supply chain uh, is to a certain extent that you can rely on your supply chain as well. And of course, you need in certain industries, you need to have more resilience in your, your supply chain and you need to uh, have uh, uh, security in depth. So there are a lot of things that you need to be able to implement, but you need to at least get the reliability and the resilience of your complete supply chain to a acceptable level. And you will never, uh, you will always have issues and you can never prevent everything, but you need to be able to at least reduce the impact of issues within your supply chain. Thank you for listening. As always, we hope you found it interesting and informative. Recent history has demonstrated that supply chain risks can affect almost all businesses. While you may have less control over supply chain risks, you do have influence and suppliers can leverage demonstrable security as a differentiator. Inevitably, the current focus on supply chain risks is giving rise to new approaches, processes, tools and standards for managing these risks. Let us know what changes you've made or see around you and how you see this space evolving. Please join us in the Attributive Security Podcast LinkedIn group if you'd like to discuss this topic further. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay safe out there.